Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me, as usual, from his own house now, is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott, way over there on the other side of the complex. Hello, my dear distant partner. <laughs> they say absence makes the heart grow fonder. Or do you have a fonder heart? Crying to myself a lot more that, I, that I, you're not in my presence. I'm sure that's the case. It is, yeah. Can you see it? Can you see my heart? Crying? No, you've got a Death Star on your shirt with a yeah with behind a, with behind a... the Death Star. Okay, is my heart crying? The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Jump, jump, jump. matter unstable internet connections mike yes well you have a uh you have a good connection to your microphone on your side so we're we're good to go so we're solid so um yeah it's a little been a little weird in the world this week <laughs> yeah slightly yeah 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 looks like crime con is postponed until yep. uh, the end of october so if you want to go to crimecon.com to learn more details, you can do so there. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. And end of October, Halloween time. What better time is there for uh, CrimeCon? For criming, yes. Exactly. Yeah. And conning. <laughs> and I know people are still feeling particularly anxious and depressed with the constant barrage of disheartening news about COVID-19. 
Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME 686-868. In the U.S. or U.K., 741-741, and you'll be matched with a volunteer counselor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free, 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. These are life-saving services available to you. Yes. Don't ever hesitate to utilize them. Don't ignore your mental health while taking care of your physical health. Absolutely. So let's get on with the show. This week, we're tackling a story that got the attention of the entire country just two years ago, and it's going to be a sad one, folks. Here's the overview of the case. On April 6th, 2018, the Humboldt Broncos hockey team were on their team bus owned by Charlie's Charters, and they were on their way to Game 5 of their Saskatchewan Junior Hockey Semifinal with the Nippon Hawks. The Broncos were down three games to one in the hard-fought spring series. They had a comeback ahead of them. The team and its coaching staff were focused on the hope of taking the next three games in a row and making it to the league final. It was a daunting challenge, but doable. The other games had been close, so there was no counting the Broncos out yet. Just before 5, at the intersection of Highway 35 and Highway 335, a westbound semi went through the stop sign at full speed and the bus, carrying 29 people, was unable to stop in time. The crash was catastrophic, leaving 13 people, mostly young hockey players, dead at the scene. Two more died in hospital later on. This is episode 118, The Humboldt Broncos Bus Crash and Green Shirt Day. Yeah, uh, I think uh, most of us in Canada, uh, that is a day that we won't forget. Uh, it just, it, it grabbed everybody's heart. It pulled on everybody's heart. It, it's another example of just so much youth and innocence doing something they love uh, en route to something so exciting and, and passionate for them. And those lives just, just taken at the drop of a dime. It wasn't the first bus crash in Canadian junior hockey history in Saskatchewan either. Oh, really? Nor was it the first involving a team named the Broncos. What? On December 30th, 1986, while on the road to play an away game against the Regina Pats, the bus carrying the Western Hockey League's Swift Current Broncos left Highway 1 after hitting a patch of black ice. The bus flew off an overpass and became airborne before crashing down onto its side and sliding for 100 meters. Holy cow. According to a Wikipedia article on that crash, four players who were sitting at the very rear of the coach, Trent Cress, Scott Kruger, Chris Mantica, and Brent Ruff, younger brother of then Buffalo Sabres captain Lindy Ruff, were killed. Oh. Mantica and Ruff were crushed by the rear of the bus and Cress and Kruger were catapulted from it, end quote. Oh, God. Among the survivors from that crash were a number of future NHLers. Two of the most notable survivors were Joe Sackick. What? Who went on to play for the Quebec Nordiques until the team was purchased and moved to Colorado, where they were renamed the Avalanche. Joe became team captain, leading the Avs to two Stanley Cup titles in 1996 and 2001. Burnaby Joe. Yeah, did you know that he was involved in that? I had no idea, no. Sheldon Kennedy, 
who played for the Boston Bruins, Calgary Flames, and Detroit Red Wings, was also involved. Wow. Kennedy is best known for going public as the victim of sexual abuse by his coach, Graham James. Yep. He has been involved in child abuse prevention, education, and fundraising for years and was named as a member of the Order of Canada by the Governor General on December 26, 2014 for his, quote, courageous leadership in raising awareness of childhood sexual abuse and his continued efforts to prevent abuse in schools, sports, and communities, end quote. When he came out about that abuse, uh, it was something profound and heavy, especially at that time. Uh, God, what was that, 20 years ago, it's, I believe? Especially back then, 20 years ago, you didn't have a lot of professional athletes uh, going public with these kind of things, and so it was pretty groundbreaking. Yeah, but the reason I put in the Swift Current Broncos as well, A, is it's kind of odd that they were both named the same name. Yeah, for sure. But B, this crash didn't have as many fatalities, but imagine maybe Joe Sackick's career never happens. Yeah, oh, wow. Maybe uh, Sheldon Kennedy never does the things that he needed to do. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Such a good point. If the impact both of them had would have been erased. The Humboldt Broncos crash was also not the only one with multiple fatalities that had taken place at the intersection between highways 35 and 335. Holy cow. There are six white crosses near the southeast corner of the intersection. They commemorate the Fiddler family whose pickup went through the same stop sign on June 17, 1997 and into the path of a semi. Killed instantly were Roderick Fiddler, 33, his wife Terry, 30, all three of their children, Jocelyn, 4, Jasmine, 3, and a one-month-old named Cassandra. Oh, man. Rod's 26-year-old sister was also killed as she was in their truck, so a whole family was wiped out right there. Oh, God, my heart. At the time of the 2018 bus crash, highways 35 and 335 both had a speed limit of 100 kilometers per hour. Highway 35 is the major arterial route linking Tisdale and Nippon to the north. A third vehicle, a car traveling eastbound, was stopped at the stop sign on the west side of the intersection waiting for the Broncos team bus and the two cars following it to pass. A man named Jaskarat Singh Sidhu was the driver of the tractor-trailer, which was a Super B configuration. According to court documents, with its load of 900 bales of sphagnum peat moss over two trailers, the total weight of the semi-trailer, semi-tractor and trailers was approximately 45,364 kilograms. Holy crap. So that's a lot of weight going really fast. Yeah, so it was one of those semis with two trailers attached to it in tandem? That's right. Okay. Wow, that's a lot of weight and a lot of speed. So somehow, Sidhu missed all the signage leading up to the intersection. And here's what the signage looked like, according to court documents. Quote, Prior to the collision with the bus, Mr. Sidhu passed the following signs. A. A Junction Highway 35 sign located approximately 406 meters east of the intersection. B. A Stop Sign Ahead sign located approximately 301 meters east of the intersection. C. A Gronlid ahead, Tisdale left, and Nippon right sign located approximately 199 meters east of the intersection. D. A Highway 35 slash Highway 335 West, Highway 35 North junction sign 
located approximately 104 meters east of the intersection. And finally, E, a stop sign located approximately 19 meters east of the center of the intersection. This was an oversized stop sign four feet in diameter affixed to the light standard on the north shoulder of the highway, a functional red traffic light which flashed once per second, was attached to the light standard just above the stop sign, end quote. So there's a lot of signage, a lot of indicators of what's ahead. Exactly. So what the heck? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. No. The land around the intersection is, the land around the intersection is a mix of farmland rural residents, and grain elevators. There are two grain elevators close to the intersection. And Saskatchewan is flat. It's That's what the joke always is, that you can see from one end of Saskatchewan to the other. It's so flat. Although there were trees off to Sidhu's left, they were far enough back that if he'd looked, he would have seen the bus coming. The road and weather conditions were suitable for safe driving, and the sun was not an issue either. There were no skid marks on the pavement left by Sidhu's semi. Oh, shit. He did not try to break it all. He blew through the stop sign at a speed estimated between 86 and 96 kilometers per hour. Like it wasn't even there. All that weight. All that speed. Oh. The bus was a different story, though. All who were facing front would have seen the crash coming. Glenn Dirksen, the driver of the bus, traveling between a 96 and 107 kilometers an hour before the crash, took evasive action when he saw the tractor trailer. But at highway speed, there wasn't enough time to avoid the impact. Mm-hmm. Dirksen applied the brakes and left 24 meters or 78 feet of black skid marks on the road trying to stop the inevitable impact. Oh, the panic, the panic. When the bus T-boned the semi just near the forward wheels of the lead trailer, the semi had all four lanes of the highway blocked. There had been nowhere for Dirksen to veer to. It would have been impossible to ditch the bus and avoid the collision at all. So literally trapped. Trapped. Yeah, nowhere to go. That, and the driver knowing what the outcome is going to be, but still trying his damnedest to do something. Bales of peat moss littered the highway as the trailer burst open due to the massive impact of the bus and semi was tipped over onto its side. The bus also tipped over onto its side and the pair of vehicles slid off the highway and came to rest on a triangular patch of grass in the northwest corner of the intersection. The devastation at the scene was horrifying. Drivers in other vehicles began calling 911 as they stopped to do what they could until the emergency crews arrived. And if you know rural Saskatchewan at all, they're 30 kilometers from the nearest place that has an emergency crew. And I can only imagine um, how overwhelming that scene must have been for witnesses, observers who were there wanting to help. But who, who do you help? There's so many people to help. What can you, like, oh, the just overwhelming. The Tisdale Fire Department responded, arriving at around 5.20 p.m., so about 20 minutes after. Oh, my God. They were immediately overwhelmed by the sheer number of victims requiring extrication from the wreckage, and some were even trapped underneath the bus. Oh, my God. 
Tisdale Fire was backed up by Nippon and Xenon Park Fire Departments. And so there were more than 30 firefighters on scene, as well as paramedics and RCMP, trying to assist these players and team staff on the bus. Parents of the players began arriving on the crash scene to help. Oh my God. From a National Post coverage on the crash, quote, Miles Shumlansky got a, quote, hysterical call from his son, Broncos player Nick Shumlansky, screaming that the bus had been in a crash. Miles jumped into his vehicle and rushed to the scene about a quarter mile from his home. Nick came running over to him. He was one of the only two kids who seemed able to walk, end quote. Oh, my God. RCMP rerouted traffic around the scene, making it safe for rescue workers to do their jobs. At 7.20 p.m., rescue efforts still continued as survivors were taken to local hospitals and some were airlifted to Saskatoon's Royal University Hospital, 230 kilometers away. The staff were quickly overwhelmed there as crash victims came in one after the other, starting around 9 p.m. The coordinated rescue reaction had to be massive. Well, you're looking at mass casualties and, and mass injuries. Like, that's a, there's a lot happening. That's not an everyday thing in any no, hospital. No, no, especially in a rural, uh, rural location. Again, from the National Post coverage on the tragedy, quote, The air ambulance response was three STARS helicopters, which flew four missions in total, two Saskatchewan air ambulance planes and one air ambulance plane from Transwest Air and two air ambulance planes from Alberta, end quote. That's a lot <sighs> of planes and helicopters going all at once. Well, again, being so rural, to get them to where they need to be to try to help save and help everybody, that, yeah, the, the quickest way to do it is, uh, is air travel. From a Global News interview, here's emergency physician Dr. Hassan Masri talking the day after about what stood out to him that night in the emergency ward. When I arrived to the hospital, my colleagues have you know, asked me, Did you, are you watching the news? And very quickly, uh, we found out that there is potentially a mass casualty. And then the hospital administration activated what we would call in the medical world a code orange which would allow the hospital to tap into a lot of resources, whether it's personnel, physician, nurses, respiratory therapists, etc., or equipments, medications, even parking spots, police. That was, I think, called around eight or nine o'clock. I can't remember the exact time. And very quickly, within the hour, there was a massive number of nurses, uh, physicians, uh, people coming from everywhere trying to do their part and to help with this. You know, it was just amazing that the emergency department was so loud, but yet it was so quiet. Each team leader would tell team members what to do and what he or she wants them to proceed with. And really, within, within those few hours, we managed to triage and take all these patients and people really contributed in a, in a significant way. That was quite incredible. I mean, some people never even practiced for Code Orange. Uh, but you've had, you've had physicians who were messaging me and texting me asking, you know, can we come in to, to help with this? You know, I'm not on call. I'm not even working. Uh, some people have even left town and they said, can I drive back and, and let me help? Uh, I know a few nurses that were actually not even in Saskatoon anymore. They went to visit their families in these little towns outside of the Saskatoon, drove back to help. 
So it was quite incredible how the teams formed in such a short notice, uh, yet they functioned uh, as if this is something that they do every day and as, as if it's something they practice for every day, even though uh, really nobody had more than an hour or two notice. I think everyone was what I would like to refer to as they were everybody was in the zone, everybody was focused on the task, everyone knew that this is going to be tragic, this is going to be probably one of the most horrible things that our nation has gone through in, in, in many years and so everyone had uh, a goal uh, in mind that they want to make this tragic event less tragic um, to, to improve the outcome for our patients, for our young uh, hockey players and so uh, you know, everyone was focused on their task and made sure that that was the only thing that mattered, not our personalities or egos or, or preferences or anything or our titles. Everyone did whatever was best for our patients. So uh, what stood out was him saying that the ER was very loud, but everything was quiet. What do you think he meant by that? What, what I think he meant by that is that uh, um, there was a lot going on, but it was all purposeful noise. Yeah, that's kind of how I interpreted it too. I, uh, I interpreted him being saying that it, it was very loud meeting in the sense of chaos. There's so much going on. So it's so much frenetic energy, people having to do this and that, but quiet in the sense of not a lot of talking. Like just everybody focused on what they need to do, do, do this and do that. So not a lot of loud noise. It was quiet in the sense of not a lot of verbal noise, but loud in the sense of just so much happening. 14 people died at the scene. They were the bus driver, Glenn Dirksen, 59. He was born in Prince George, B.C. He was a husband and father of two, a community volunteer and accomplished athlete who loved golf. The Broncos' head coach, Darcy Haugen, he was a husband and father of two boys. Broncos' assistant coach, Mark Cross, was 27. He was considered a great leader and loved to play hockey, and he loved his girlfriend. Broadcaster Tyler Bieber, 29, as well as having broad knowledge of sports trivia and stats, a portion of his obituary reads, quote, he also loved to pull a prank he had a wicked sense of humor, a heart of gold, and left a positive mark on everyone he met. He was a selfless volunteer, a mentor, and an amazing son, brother, and friend. Logan Hunter was 18 years old, and 18 was also his number. He was a 6-foot-3-inch right winger from St. Albert, Alberta. A portion of his obituary read, Logan loved hanging out with his friends, family, and had the patience to talk with everyone. Hunts, his nickname, loved animals, and their family dog, Charlie, was his best friend. His big smile and little smirk will be remembered by all. Centerman Jackson Joseph, who wore number 13, was 20 years old and from Edmonton. Jackson loved hockey and his dog, Sam. A quote from his obituary read, his other passions included spending time with his family, summers at Lake Osoyoos, and hanging out with the boys. Number 11 was Joseph Liked, a hometown Humboldt boy, and he was 19 years old, playing left wing on the Broncos. His obituary read in part, quote, On the ice he was known, for, known to be small in stature but mighty at heart. He was fast as lightning 
hardworking, and dedicated to giving to giving his all at all times. He was proud to say that his most influential role model in hockey was his dad, who was his coach for most of his minor hockey years. Connor Lucan was 21 from Slave Lake, Alberta. He wore number 12 and played left wing. His obituary read, quote, He loved golfing, spending time with his family, lake life, anything with a motor, and Tim Horton's coffee. <laughs> Logan Schatz, the team's captain, was 20. He was a centerman who wore number 20. He was from Allen, Saskatchewan. His obituary read, quote, When Logan was off the ice, he excelled in track and field. He also loved golfing, working out in the gym, being the life of the party. He was the beer pong champion. And at a young age, he even experimented in dance. Stephen Wack was 21 and the team's big defenseman at six foot six. He wore number seven and was from St. Albert, Alberta. His obituary said he was a compassionate human being, never forgetting the underdog. He was witty with such a good sense of humor and infectious laugh. He was just so much to so many. Parker Tobin was 18. He was the goaltender from Stony Plain, Alberta. He wore number 30. His obituary reads, Parker was truly a kind and gentle person. He had a passion for learning, and his endless optimism made him a wonderful son, brother, family member, friend, and teammate. Brody Hines was 18. He was a lifelong fan of Humboldt Broncos and had recently become the team's statistician. His obituary read, quote, As a participant in the Special Olympics, his love of sports continued to grow. Bronco players devoted time in mentoring Brody, which meant a lot to him. When the opportunity to participate in preparing stats for his beloved Broncos arrived, he was over the moon. Evan Thomas from Saskatoon was 18. He played right wing and wore number 17. His obituary read, For Evan, the best was yet to come. It is a certainty that he would have pursued a career with the same zeal that he displayed in his sport and academic achievements. Whatever he would have chosen to do, he would have done it well and been a true contributor to society. The world is at a loss almost as much as his family. And lastly, Adam Harold was the youngest player killed that day. He was 16. Adam was a six-foot defenseman from Mamart, Saskatchewan, who wore number five. From Adam Harold Legacy Foundation.ca, quote, while Adam was a superior talent, he connected with everyone he met. One of his most enduring attributes was how friendly and humble he was. He made friends wherever he went. He was level-headed and non-judgmental. There were times he was one of the best players on the ice, but it never went to his head. He just wanted to be one of the boys. He was someone who looked out for his teammates and always offered to help. So young. They were all... Uh... All of the players were at an age where, in many regards, life is just beginning. You know, right around that 18-year-old mark. 18, 20, 21, yeah. That's when you're really just kind of starting to find your voice, who you are, what you want to do. So much uh, to look forward to at that age, just, uh God, my heart. And snuffed out in seconds. Yeah, yeah. In such a, a tragic and unnecessary manner. Of the 15 taken to hospital, all had extensive injuries, physical and emotional. 
13 would survive with a very long road to recovery. Many are still coping with their injuries and have a lifetime's worth of scars and other physical ailments as daily reminders of that horrific evening in April. I can't imagine the trauma of going through that. Like, I simply, like, because you're witnessing it all, you're a survivor, you're still there, and hearing things that you never want to hear, seeing things that you never want to see. Two more people from the crash would die later in hospital from their injuries. Dana Marie Bronze, who grew up on a farm near Mar Marysburg, Saskatchewan, was 24. She was, as her mother put it, the only girl on the bus. She was the team's athletic therapist, but also held that same title with the Saskatchewan SWAT Junior Lacrosse team of the Rocky Mountain Lacrosse League. She held on until April 11, 2018, and was the last person to die as a direct result of the crash. The last player to die was 21-year-old Broncos defenseman Logan Boulay. He wore number 18. He was taken to hospital, but his injuries were too severe to recover from. He was taken off life support with his family at his side. There is more to his story and his lasting legacy. We'll take a break right here to lighten the mood a little and give you folks and us a break from this heavy topic. Yeah, please. When we come back, we'll talk more about Logan's story specifically, and you'll hear some exclusive audio of an interview with Logan's father, Toby. But first, we'll talk more about the effect that this tragedy had on Canadians and the hockey world in general, the RCMP investigation, and lastly... We'll hear what became of the driver of the semi, Jaskarat Singh Sidhu, who was uninjured in the crash. Oh, wow. And we'll go to break. And we're back. This has been a tough one for me. I grew up with a lot of guys who went on to play junior hockey and a couple even played in the NHL. Uh, so I know what hockey families are like yeah. and how, how tight everybody is. Now, what are your thoughts so far, Scott? I I am so caught up in uh, the chaos of the scene. I can't step away from putting myself in their shoes of uh, the moment that it happened, the moment following it, uh, all the people there trying to help, and just how traumatizing and horrific you're just living your life, mm. be it a witness, somebody helping, a family member, or one of the people involved. You're just living your life as normal, and then, boom, the most horrific thing that could possibly happen happens. And for the poor survivors, what they have to live with, oh, God, yeah. So for me, I'm just, I'm stuck in that ball of chaos in that moment. In a news conference the day after the crash, the team president, Kevin Geringer, had the grim task of reporting the deaths from the incident. As well, he had to remind everyone present that the year was over for the Broncos organization, but they would be back next season. As the RCMP continued their investigation of the crash, a vigil was held at Elgar Peterson Arena in Humboldt on April 8, 2018. People from the community packed the place. I bet. Including dignitaries like Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, 
and former host of Hockey Night in Canada's Coach's Corner, Don Cherry, who happened to be a big supporter of junior hockey. Yeah. From Global News, Humboldt centerman Tisdale's, quote, Nick Shumlansky was also in attendance, wearing his white team jersey with a cut underneath his left eye, a playoff beard and blonde hair. He was released from the hospital earlier Sunday. Even though he had some pretty serious injuries, he wanted to be there. Oh, my God. Yeah. And all of the players uh, not only had playoff beards, but they had all dyed their hair blonde for the playoffs. So uh, I'm sure all these parents seeing this young man there representing the entire team had to be just heartbroken. Well, and we get caught up when we talk about family being, um, you know, immediate families, brothers, sisters, parents, you know, uncles. But the players themselves are a family. You know, I, I'm sure to the survivors, they it, to them, it felt like they lost uh, brothers and a sister. You know, like it, it's, it, so I can, I understand his compulsion to want to be there. You know, you, you to see essentially his community supporting members of his family. Over the intervening days, the sports world responded. Before games, announcements were, were made in a lot of arenas all over. Mm-hmm and moments of silence were observed for the Humboldt Broncos. At an NHL game in Nashville, even though both teams were American that night, the Canadian National Anthem was sung in remembrance of those who were taken so tragically in the crash. Even rock icon Rod Stewart, whose son is a hockey player, stopped his Calgary concert to remember the Humboldt Broncos. He dedicated his song, People Get Ready, to their memory. Hmm. The hashtag Humboldt Strong was trending on social media. It was everywhere. According to a CBC article, the accident made international headlines and support for the junior hockey team poured in from around the world. A GoFundMe campaign raised $15 million that was eventually divided among the victims and their families. I do remember another GoFundMe uh, that was a person who was not really connected with anything and trying to get money in a bad way. (sighs) Oh. Yeah, there's just something extra special shit, uh, uh, shitty of people who try to uh, capitalize off trauma. That takes an extra special kind of uh, disgusting. Uh, yeah, there's a special yeah. place in uh, hell, which I don't really think exists for those people. I think their existence is hell. So we saved Logan Boulay's story for the second half of the show as we want to bring more attention to what happened with him and especially Green Shirt Day, which was created in Logan's name to remind Canadians and everyone else about the importance of organ donation. So a rugby coach and friend of Logan Boulay's named Richard Sluggo Suggett passed away suddenly at age 58 from an aneurysm. He had signed his organ donor card and his organs went to six people. Logan really liked this idea So he told his dad, Toby, as well as a few friends, what he planned to do for his 21st birthday. He was going to sign his organ donor card. So let's have Toby Boulay, Logan's dad, tell us the story. And here's some audio from my interview with Toby this week. Logan spoke to me the summer of August of 2017, after Rick Suggett passed away on our deck, he just said, you know, Dad, I want to be an organ donor. And I said, well, why? And she said, well, when Rick passed, he donated six organs. If he can do it, so can I. I said, well, no one's going to want your organs when you're 80 years old. And he laughed. I laughed, and he said, no, you're wrong. I'm going to do that. 
So I tried to ignore his mortality conversation. Like any good dad, I ignored him. Had to make fun of it. And then later on, he told his billet brother, who was 13 at the time, McLaren, Logan was, would always drive these guys or they needed to do. He's the big brother. And they're doing errands in Logan's vehicle. And three days before Logan's birthday, McLaren said, hey, what are you doing for your birthday? Thinking he's Logan's dying of a shit face. That's what he's thinking he's going to say, right? I'm 21. Logan no, no, I'm going to sign my donor card and donate my organs. I pass. And then McLaren said, well, that's kind of creepy. And Logan goes, no, no, that, that's, that's what I'm doing on my birthday. So he signed his donor card. We don't know if he registered, but that's registered. So then in the hospital, we, my wife offered Logan, in that room that nobody wants to be in, Bernie offered Logan's organs before she even knew that Logan had, I never told her Logan talked to me in the deck because I didn't want to talk about it. So she offered Logan's organs, and I said, yes, he spoke to us. And they looked at us like, are you kidding me? Nobody ever offers your organs. And then when they're doing the paperwork, like three or four hours later, Paul's like coming from Humboldt, I've got there, and they're talking about that. And I said, well, this is what Logan told me. And they wanted to do science. Well, we did this. We don't know. We don't know his wallet. It's that time. It's who knows where anything. It's just in the bus. It's all over the damn place. And all of a sudden, McLaren pops up. He's searching. And he goes, well, Logan signed his donor card. And we all looked at what? And he told the story. So that's where we are. That's where we're at today. Before Logan passed, his family, including his mom, Bernadine, and his dad, Toby, released a statement. It goes, quote, Despite the other media reports today, Logan's strong heart continues to beat this evening. The final harvesting of Logan's organs will take place overnight now that he has positive matches for all organs donated. He is giving new hope to at least six different people. Logan made it clear previously that he signed his donor card as soon as he turned 21. Even in his eventual passing, he will be a selfless hero, end quote. I, it's a, an odd thing to mention but these situations remind me, uh, I'm not 100% sure on the artist's name, uh, Louis Capaldi or something like that. He's got a song, Someone to Love. But the video is one of the most powerful videos, and it's about organ donation. I recommend, even though I probably didn't get his name right, people go and try and track it down. It was a huge song, but it just, it's, it really tugs at just seeing the connection between somebody who lost someone they love and then seeing who's living because of that organ donation. It's, it's a pretty tear jerking video and, uh, just so much emotion wrapped around the loss of your child, but yet still so pr proud of them for what they've been able to do. As well as his heart, Logan was able to donate his lungs, liver, kidneys, and two corneas. Oh, wow. From an information packet on the greenshirtday.ca site, quote, The 21-year-old defenseman went on to save six lives through his generous gifts. In the weeks that followed, Logan's story inspired more than 100,000 Canadians to become registered organ donors. This became known as the Logan Boulay effect. I asked Toby to explain his take on the Logan Boulay effect, and here's some more exclusive audio. The Logan Boulay effect is that it's the incremental, exponential increase in organ donation or online registrations that happened immediately after Logan's godfather announced on Facebook that Logan was going to be an organ donor. It went literally 100,000 registrations within the first three weeks. We know where this comes from. It's because it happened in a massive tragedy that grabbed the attention of Canadians. If it Logan had been on a highway by himself, driving in Southern Alberta, and gone in a car accident and it was going to pass, and we chose to donate his organs because he wanted us to like he did, it would have made the local news, maybe something else, 
There's been four people come to his funeral, that would have been the end of it, right? We know that. But because everybody else came around, people just wanted to do who just wanted to do something. It's no different than the GoFundMe account. Who just wanted to do something, they didn't know what to do, so they gave money. Who didn't know what to do, signing to be an organ donor doesn't cost you any money whatsoever, so they did it. And so since that time, another 50,000 registered the rest of that year, and then the Green Shirt Day build up and Green Shirt Day of 2019, another 100,000 registered, and by October of us last year, we had Canadian Blood Service confirm with us that it's now 300,000 people in Canada directly registered because of the Logan Bully effect and the Humble Bronco tragedy. So there you go. That's a that's quite a, a massive uptake on that. Quite an impact. Wow. Toby told me that Logan's funeral was the biggest that they'd ever had in Lethbridge. I can imagine. So in 2019, the family of Logan Boulay held their first annual National Green Shirt Day in honor of their son, Logan, and the Broncos family. They aim to increase awareness about the importance of organ donation and honor Logan's precious gift. This highly impactful annual campaign is known as Green Shirt Day and takes place on April 7th, which is the day after the anniversary of the uh, crash and um, the anniversary of Logan's death. After my conversation with Toby Boulay, I went on to the greenshirtday.ca contact page and followed a link to transplant.bc.ca where I registered to donate my organs. If you wish to do so, there are links to the transplant societies in your province or territory at that site. Toby reminded me of a very important point about the process during our chat. Here's what he said. The number one thing that my wife and I say, and my wife started it more than I did when I jumped on, is that you have to let your family members know what your wishes are. And it's very important in today's where Nova Scotia and Alberta is thinking about it and other problems that are, mostly Nova Scotia are saying they want to go to presumed consent or opt out. And we're totally against that because it doesn't matter. You don't tell your family they're not going to presume consent to anything. And even though the law, the law in Canada is based upon your your will, right? In a will, you whatever's in your will has to happen, right? Well, uh, an organ donor registration is, is classified as a will. But most people don't know that. And, and so every hospital, every surgeon in the country is supposed to follow what your will is, which is your registration, but they will never go against the family. So there you go. Um, mm. If you decide to move forward and donate your organs on your death, ensure your family are aware of your wishes. Yeah, that's uh, the only part I've done. So I'm going to go register. But I've absolutely told my family and I'm telling the world now that uh, I absolutely want my organs donated. I've had that conversation with Carol about it. I had that with her today just to make sure. And now I've had it with all of you too. Yeah. The motto of Green Shirt Day is register, tell your family, be inspired. So it's super important that you tell your family. You don't want to have any surprises for them if something happens to you. Mm-hmm. The site also mentions that it's suggested that for every person who registers their intent to donate, they speak with an average of four others about organ donation. Well, we're speaking to a lot more than four here. <laughs> that means that 100,000 new registrants equals approximately 400,000 conversations. So let's have a lot. Let's see a big uptick, you know. I said to Carol, I'm not going to be, and I don't mean to be crass or flippant about it, but... 
if I die, I have no use for my organs and neither does Mm -hmm. she or anybody else in my family. Mm -hmm. If I'm buried, they're just going to go into the ground or if I'm cremated, they're just going to get burned up. So if they're worth anything to anybody, you can have them. If I can help somebody, fuck, it's emotional. But yeah, if... If any part of me can go on to help somebody else, absolutely. Hell, I, I even think now about donating my, you know, a kidney and stuff like that. Even though I'm alive, I've, I had an employee who uh, needed a kidney transplant and I was close to, I talked with him and stuff and I was close to seeing if I could uh, donate mine. But uh, I'd still, I, I hate. Most of us, I think, Mike hates seeing people suffer. And so uh, if me donating organs can help somebody and their family uh, continue uh, their life and relationship longer, then yeah. This year, due to the efforts to further prevent the spread of COVID-19, the face-to-face Green Shirt Day events have been canceled. That makes sense. Yeah. But the campaign is going to be virtual. It'll be a more social media-focused campaign using their Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. And we'll have links for you on the show notes and on our website, darkpoutine.com. I got a jersey, and Scott has a t-shirt to help us promote Green Shirt Day on April 7th, 2020. You'll see Mm -hmm. us on social media posting about it over the next week and in the lead-up to Green Shirt Day. You can get your own at greenshirtday.shop. Yeah, uh, please participate. Please, please, please participate. I would just feel so happy to see our listeners participate and support this amazing cause. So you can let us know that you're getting involved any way you want to, either wearing your green shirt in support of the cause or announcing your decision. You can post on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using the hashtag Logan Boulay Effect and hashtag Green Shirt Day. And we'll have those hashtags in the show notes as well. Also a reminder, National Organ and Tissue Donation Awareness Week. It takes place on the third full week of April every year. So it's kind of the month to be thinking about this stuff. To close out my interview with Toby, I asked him to tell me a little bit about his son. Tell me a little more about Logan. And like the proud dad he still is, Toby gave us some great insider information about his son. So here's the audio. Logan was a fine young man, really was. And his hopes and dreams were he wanted to be a school teacher. His mom's a teacher, and I'm a retired teacher. He loved kids. He loved to coach. He loved to be around kids. He volunteered in my wife's classroom all the time. He coached hockey on the side. He ran camps, organized camps. He volunteered himself, and he also played rugby. So he, could, he saw that he could. He saw that he could coach and teach high school or middle school, and coach rugby or whatever. Right? He was a kind person, a great sense of humor. Lots of wit. He could light up a room with a smile. And this is not me saying. It's just it's like, that's just what it is. And he was a giving nature. Yeah, he's always happy to help. At his golf tournament last year, we gave all the volunteers a shirt that said, happy to help, and it really was Logan. Logan is also a very fierce competitor. And if push came to shove, he generally pushed first. And then, like, he didn't play rough. He played aggressive. In all those sports, he played rugby and hockey. And he played lots of sports. He curled. I don't think he's aggressive in curling. Yeah, he was just a, a good kid. He was a 91% average in math. So we're talking like he's smart. And he played guitar, and he's an accomplished artist, and he traveled a whole bunch, and he loved history, and he could tell you why certain things happen, and he 
I guess the, big, the best thing in Logan's life, the best thing that he had going for him that people remember lots of is that he could have a conversation with anybody. And I finished that bit of this conversation with Toby saying, well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because uh, Toby is a great conversationalist. He, what a great guy. <laughs> Thanks to Toby Boulay for chatting with me. It meant a lot that you were willing to have a conversation at all. I know it's tough. Uh, Toby is doing the the social media and media circuit right now, and uh, he took some time out from that just to talk to me specifically. So that was awesome. Really, yeah. really kind of him. Yeah. The I I think the worst word as a parent to ever have to use to describe your child is was. Yeah. I'm blown away too by the ongoing efforts of Toby, his wife Bernadine, or Bernie as he called her, and Logan's sister Mariko. They keep the Logan Boulay effect going and continue to raise awareness around organ donation. It does save lives, folks. Yeah, and I guess I, I would imagine that's a way as a parent uh, who's lost a child, uh, if you can keep something going that is connected with your child as kind of a way of helping keep them alive. Given the number of fatalities in the bus crash, the Saskatchewan Ministry of Justice commissioned McElhaney Consulting Services Limited to conduct a safety review of the intersection, and the final report was made publicly available in December of 2018. From Saskatchewan.ca, quote, The purpose of the study was to review the geometric, collision, traffic, and human factor characteristics of the intersection, identify any issues that could increase the risk of collisions at the intersection and recommend improvements that may reduce those risks. And so from the Highway 35 and Highway 335 Intersection Safety Review from November of 2018, quote, a total of six intersection-related collisions occurred at the study intersection between 1990 and 2017, resulting in an average collision frequency of 0.21 collisions per year. A look at the more recent collision trends revealed last 10 years, 2008 to 2017, three collisions, an average of 0.3 collisions per year. And the last five years, 2013 to 2017, two collisions, an average of 0.4 collisions per year, end quote. And the report went on to state that the number of collisions at the intersection was, quote, low compared to others of similar configuration. Hmm. However they did make, quote, 13 recommendations to improve the overall safety of the intersection. The Ministry of Highways and Infrastructure will implement all 13 recommendations reconfirming the previous government commitment to implement all recommendations resulting from the review, end quote. And so the full study and a summary, including the 13 recommendations, can be found by way of a link in our show notes and on darkpoutine.com. The Saskatchewan government took that pretty seriously, Yep, yep. Well, that's a mass tragedy. So. Yeah, a mass Canadian tragedy, yes. Yeah. Finally, we'll look at how Jazz Karat Singh Sidhu, the driver of the truck, was dealt with. Although he was physically uninjured, he was provided with mental health support services. He was 30 years old with no previous criminal history, and he had a clean driving record. Alcohol, drugs, nor cell phone use were factors in the crash, so none of those things had anything to do with the crash. A court document attained by CBC News stated that Sidhu simply, quote, failed to recognize that his vehicle was approaching an intersection 
and did not heed the stop sign, end quote. Covering the driver is a hard, hard, hard uh, conversation. On January 8th, 2019, Sidhu surprised those in the courtroom by pleading guilty to all charges. From Global News' Ryan Kessler, and no, no, it's not the hockey player, um, <laughs> here's some audio of the day that Sidhu pled guilty. Speaking in court for the first time, Jaskarat Singh Sidhu stood, telling the judge, I plead guilty, Your Honor. His position to me was, I just want to plead guilty. Uh, I, I don't want you to plea bargain. I don't want a trial. His plea is to 16 counts of dangerous driving causing death and 13 counts of dangerous driving causing bodily harm. The charges representing the lives altered or taken away. Sidhu acknowledging because of him. He wanted the families to know that he's devastated by uh, the grief that he's caused them. And uh, he's overwhelmed by the expressions of sympathy uh, and kindness that some of the families and players have uh, expressed to him. Members of three Broncos families sat in the courtroom as the judge arranged sentencing with Sidhu standing motionless before her. All I've ever told my kids is speaking about accountability and responsibility and for to hear him use his own words to plead guilty. That's a powerful, powerful second for sure. For Scott Thomas, father of late Bronco Evan Thomas, Sidhu's admission brings closure. The rest of the sentence doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. It, it's not going to bring Evan back. Um, I got to spend the rest of my life with it. He's got to spend the rest of his life with it. The Broncos team calls Tuesday's result a positive step in the healing process, sparing survivors and families the anguish and turmoil of the court process. The team president said in a statement, I know Mr. Sidhu has also been deeply affected by this tragedy. His careless actions will haunt him for the rest of his life, and I'm sure it is a relief to move forward. Hearing how compassionate and understanding some of the family members were, that just tugs at my heart because it's, I, I don't want to diminish his accountability in this. His actions resulted in mass fatalities and traumas, but he is taking accountability. If we were to hear that he was texting while driving or inebriated, it's a very different story. Sadly, He's a, he has a job where one mistake can result in mass loss of life. So he's accountable or he's responsible for that. And I applaud him for taking accountability. Um, if I was a parent, uh, I would find it to be an extremely emotional uh situation. If I was a surviving player, it would be an extremely emotional situation. And I applaud them uh, for being so compassionate. Because uh, this man has to live with what he's done. He didn't want this to happen, didn't intend for it to happen, and it happened. And he's got to live with that. His life is, is pretty much gone. Um, you know, uh, it's just, th this is a situation where it's just tragic all around. Uh, later that month at Sidhu's sentencing, according to court documents, quote, 90 victim impact statements were filed with the court. <sighs> the majority were read in open court by family members or by Ms. Olinchuk, Crown Counsel. Four survivors of the collision declined to provide victim impact statements, as is their right. Justice Cardinal wrote, 
Quote, on count one, dangerous driving causing death, I sentenced Mr. Sadu to eight years incarceration. On each of counts two through 16, inclusive the remaining counts of dangerous driving causing death, I imposed sentences of eight years incarceration concurrent to count one and concurrent to each other. On each of counts 17 through 29, inclusive, being the 13 counts of dangerous driving causing bodily harm, I sentenced Mr. Sadu to five years incarceration concurrent to each other and concurrent to counts one through 16 inclusive, end quote. So this is one of those ones where I feel like consecutive sentencing was warranted on at least the two separate offenses because he gets eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so had he been sentenced on the first charge and then consecutively on the second charge, he would have at least gotten 13 years. Some people feel that eight years was too harsh, but I don't know. Where do you stand? I, I, I'm, I'm okay with the eight years. Uh, I'm okay with uh, it all being concurrent just due to the, the, the circumstances of um, how everything transpired. If he was on a cell phone or drinking like we had talked about, um, I wouldn't think... 30 years to be long enough. But the fact that, like, he, uh, intention did not exist. Yeah. He did not intend for this to happen. Um, it's so tough to say on the outside. I'd like to think if I was one of the surviving members or a parent that uh, I would be fine with eight years and I would have empathy towards him but i'm on the outside and i don't really know how i would actually feel about it if i was on the inside so uh, i can't fault anybody on any side yeah people thinking it's too long people thinking it's too short i can't fault anybody for me uh i I would feel i like i i think i would feel that that's an appropriate sentence so we have some audio of the family reactions uh, as mm. they gave to Global News after Sadu's sentencing. So first you'll hear from Toby Boulay, Logan's dad, then Chris Joseph, Jackson Joseph's father, uh, and last speaking is Carla Haugen, who is the, the, the widow of Broncos head coach Darcy Haugen. Mm, okay. We're relatively, I don't know how to say that, but it adds up to 193 years. And we know it breaks down to eight years for our son, Logan, and for all the other 15 that passed, eight years each, and five years for each boy that's a survivor. We would have preferred that it was eight years separately, stacked, I guess, like eight years for the deaths and eight years for the quality harm. But that's not the way the Canadian government and the Canadian laws sit right now. So we're not necessarily satisfied. We'd prefer it was the full 13 years. Uh, so um, our reaction to the sentences um, we're disappointed we knew we were going to be disappointed coming in uh, but we thought judge cardinal was uh, very professional very prepared and i think she came back with the number that was probably the best um, for all the parties it, it seems like it's something that would kind of appease our families yet maybe not be appealable by uh, the defendants so uh, as far as the number goes, I, me personally, I knew I was going to be disappointed no matter what. There's, there's no number that would have made me happy. Um, but I do respect the fact that Judge Cardinal did a, a really thorough job, and we were very impressed with, with how she did that. 
I guess just for me and our family, our emotions aren't tied to any sentence because I don't think that was beneficial for us. Um, and there's, that there are, no, there are no winners here. So we, we made the conscious decision not to get tied up into numbers. So I think the court did their job. The RCP did their job and I think we're all grateful for the professionalism and for the people that we had supporting us. So, so there you go. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about right. I, uh, they all uh, had very rational reactions to a very irrational situation. It's kind of a um, very Canadian reaction. It really is. It really is. I, I think a large reason as to my feelings around it, too, is also the fact that he pled guilty. Yeah. Or pleaded. I don't know which is the proper phrase. But he he pled guilty. Um, you know, he wasn't trying to hide his role in it. He, he didn't try to fight it and make this difficult or more difficult on everybody. And so that would play a role if I were sentencing as well. Stuff like that would play a role. But yeah, the reactions were very Canadian. It was really, uh, really remarkable and amazing. So please, folks, pay attention when you're driving. It takes just a second to misreacting to something that might save lives. Uh, Scott talked about having an, an incident himself at some point a few years ago where someone just ran out of traffic in front of you. I hit a pedestrian on the, oh, oh, it's technically a highway, but yeah, yeah, I hit a pedestrian on the highway and it was uh, absolutely devastating. The person ran out in front of a vehicle that was stopped next to me in the middle of the road, trying to make it to a bus. She didn't see that I was, there was a vehicle coming, which was mine. She ran out right into the side of my car, but it, I was, it, you, you sit there and you think if I was a fraction of a second later, that person would have hit the front of my car and probably not been here. And so it just, like, that's all it takes, a yeah. millisecond, literally a millisecond, and everything can change. So don't forget Green Shirt Day on April 7th, 2020, for organ donor awareness uh, slash registration in honor of the hashtag Logan Boulay effect. And that's it for this week's episode. Holy crackers. It's time for voicemails. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. You can leave us one at 877-327-5786 or 1-877-DARKPTN or 1-877-DARKPTN. <laughs> if your call really stands out, you might hear it on the show. So let's see if any of these stand out. <laughs> Here's one from Alaska. Oh, wow. So let's listen. Hey, guys. This is Jessica over in Fairbanks, Alaska. I know the area code to San Diego, but that was a long lifetime ago. But yeah, so what you're listening to now is the dulcet tones of me doing laundry while all of my children are home from school for an extended spring break. It just can't school forever. So we're all just kind of sitting around staring at each other. But I figured that now was a good time to uh, look down on you guys in Vancouver and Remind you to shit in your hat and then wash your hands for 20 <laughs> seconds and uh, distance yourself by at least eight feet. 
be sure to sing some ABCs or whatever it is you weird Canucks do. And uh, yeah, love you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Wish us luck. I wish you luck. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Bye. I really appreciate that one. I was trying to see if I could hear Russia from Alaska, but I, I couldn't. You can't. You can't hear it from there. No. Well, but I mean, if you can see it, maybe you can hear it. Uh, sure. It's a little Sarah Palin humor. Right yeah. But yeah, that was. Uh, I, I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was a that was <laughs> a fun one. I, I've legitimately, she mentioned washing hands. I legitimately have had many a dream, dream about different hand washing techniques. Oh God! Like I wake up, like I was like I my I'm dreaming about watching YouTube videos of hand washing techniques. That that's where I'm at. That's a nightmare. That's a, it's what's going on in my head, subconsciously. Okay, here's here's one. From a Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, sweet. Hey, Scott and Mike. This is Dina from Kansas City, Missouri, U.S. Your latest Yumber Yarder and Good Egg. Love the podcast. Love it. I enjoy all beautiful people in Canada. I have friends that live in Toronto. So y'all are beautiful people. Anyway, you have a good one. Y'all go shit in your hat and have a goodie. Bye. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's a lot of hat shitting. Yeah, it appears that uh, a lot of people want us to shit in hats. That, I hope that's something that n never actually happens. Right? Because, I mean, like, what do you do then? Like, am I supposed to, if it accidentally happens someday, am I supposed to take a photo and post it? Like, no. If you accidentally poop in your hat? Well, I mean, how else would it? If you intentionally poop in your hat, that's even worse. So I can see how you would accidentally do it. Just just bear with me a sec. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Bearing. you got to go. You got to go. You're yep. out on a hike in yep. the woods. Yep. And uh, you're you're in the midst of releasing the hounds. Yep. Let's just say you're, you're, you're pants down, releasing the hounds. Yep. And uh, you cough or something. Okay. And your hat, your hat falls off backwards. Oh, okay. And, yep. and you're mid, you're mid go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's know, no stopping at that point. There's no stopping. No, no. Yeah. You're going to be shitting in your ass. You got to let that coil out. <laughs> you you got to let it happen. Yeah. Just, just let it go. Yeah. <laughs> just let it go. Yeah. Drop that Stanley steamer. Let's go with this one. Hi, Mike. Hi, Scott. This is Josie not my name, but for the sake of what I'm going to say and for my own safety, job security, I don't think it's probably a good idea that I do give you my actual name. I just wanted to call and let you know that I absolutely love the podcast and I recently introduced my coworkers to the podcast and we have been binging you for about three days now. We work um, on the medical floor of a large county jail in a midwestern city and I, it has to be said that you would think that that would be some place where you wouldn't want to learn about murder or oddities but mostly a county jail is sort of just boring and you don't really get to see those people anyway so we're enjoying your podcast we absolutely love you and thank you so much your charming wonderful canadian accents bring joy and sunshine to our day in a room without windows Thank you so much. You guys have a good one. That was absolutely amazing. I love that. <laughs> yeah, same here. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. That wouldn't be the environment I would envision. Also, uh, we our, understand why you our, didn't want to want to give us your name. Yeah, because yeah, you're for working sure. in a jail, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And I wouldn't think that's the environment where uh, you got dark poutine bumping. But it was. It was. It's amazing. I love hearing that. So thank you, thank you, Josie, and probably the aforementioned pussycats. Well, that's what I was just gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Josie and the pussycats at yeah. the jail. Oh well. It is what it is. It's it's good. Jail it's is great. jail is a fun thing. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. Somebody's got to do the jail thing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> usually, sure. That's what I mean. Yeah, Mike. That's a... yeah. Sure. Criminals got a criminal. So don't forget, you can leave us a voicemail at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. That's one eight seven seven Dark Dark Putin Putin Dark Putin. Uh, let's do some Patreon shout-outs. Let's do it. Uh, I haven't checked whether or not we have any new patrons, but I did put up a poll asking people whether or not they wanted to wanted us to uh, pause the Patreon, uh, as some other shows have done. Mm-hmm. And the response has been an interesting one. Let's oh. just see. As of this recording, uh, I'm just bringing it up here. Right now, um, it is 96% for us to not pause. Oh, wow. To, to 4% of pause. So it's looking pretty strongly like our patrons want us to continue to entertain them and they are willing to uh, help us continue as well, which I'm kind of grateful for. If you're a patron who can't uh, participate right now, we fully understand. Absolutely. Just come back to us when you can. Like yeah. if you if you need to pause your own deal for a while, absolutely 100% you need to do it for yourself and your family. We understand. And, and until uh, shit's coming out of my mouth and blood out of my bum, I'm going to keep doing this. What the? Well, because the illness, you know, and, you know, if I, things coming out of orifices, Mike, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Oof. As long as I'm not uh, out of commission. Uh, the co- co- it's COVID Ebola. Maybe. Whoa. Whoa. Can you, oh, that, oh, you, can you imagine? And, here come some new dreams. Oh, wow. man. Oh, that would be God. the that would be horrendous. Oh, oh, essentially airborne Ebola. Like, just it can't get worse. <laughs> right? But, sweet Jesus. Oh, yeah. Not not something that I would wish on an enemy. Oh, my God, no. All right. First up, as far as patrons go... We have from Silver Spring, Maryland, Katie Wood. Well, this sounds like a lovely place. Right? Silver Spring, Maryland. Yeah. Just I yeah. picture I picture waterfalls. Oh yeah. Yeah, waterfalls, lots of uh trees and foliage and yeah. Sounds like thank you. Thank you, Kate. Is it Katie? Yes, Katie Wood. Thank th- th- thank you, Katie. Thank you for your, your contribution. Your mom's name is Kate, is it not? It is. It is Kate Kathleen. Oh wow, Kathleen Winifred Hem Hemenway. Oh Winifred, <laughs> I think I don't know if I've told the story. I think I've told it, but on my mom's, uh, this was a long time ago. But I remember calling my mom, get her answering machine. She's, uh, this is Kate Hemingway. Leave me a voicemail, and I'm like, I call her later. I'm like, you said Hemingway. What the fuck? Why does it, why did you say Hemingway? It's Hemingway. And she's like, I just gave in. <laughs> Everybody Very- thinks it's Hemingway, so I just I gave in. There you go. Yeah. 
Next up, we have Sarah Rogers from Malden, Massachusetts. Oh, Malden. Like Carl Malden. Remember wow. that guy with, wow. with his big honk, honking nose? Yeah, is, this his, uh, is that his town? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it is. Next, we have Kendall Passmore. And what? I don't know where Kendall's from. Uh, she's from uh, Schenectady, New York. Oh, Schenectady, New York. Yeah. The place I can't, can neither spell nor pronounce. Yeah. Well, uh, nobody can. So you're not alone, Mike. Well, hopefully she's staying safe in New York. Apparently, uh, there's quite a lot of badness happening there right now. Yeah. Like my Lord, it's terrifying. Yeah. So what's, what's Kendall do in that keeps her safe in Schenectady, New York? Well, currently she's working from home. Oh, good. Yep. As a a uh, home care worker, well, well, that yeah, yeah. If you're you, so, if you're a home care worker, you typically do work from home, yeah. Or but you're usually in other people's homes. So how does she work from her home? She she's only focused on taking care of her home during this time. But she's still she's doing her job. She's doing her job. She's making sure everybody is safe and healthy, just in her home. That's how home care workers work from home, Mike. Yeah, yeah, a little known fact. Um, so, oh, here's one from Carolyn A. Daly, and she's from Arvada, Colorado. Where the hell or, is Arvada? Is it Ar- well, I guess you just said where it is, but Arvada, yeah. wow. Or is it Arveda? I don't know. Ooh, I hope it's Arveda. Ar- like Darth Veda. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, so thank you. Carolyn A. Daly. Yeah, from thank you. Arvada or Arveda. Yeah. And American places usually have a long. I've noticed like it's instead of Lima, it's Lima. And you know, mm. so I, mm. I we could be on to something here. This is an maybe this astute is astute observation, Mike. Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's potentially it's astute observation. And next and lastly, uh, as far as patrons go. We have Prof Lover, and so I don't know what exactly that means, but mm-hmm. I don't know where Prof Lover is from. Does mm-hmm. it mean somebody, someone like, uh, you know, remember the girls in Indiana Jones and the uh, they Raiders the... of the Lost Ark with the I love you on the yeah. eyelids? Yeah, How, who, nobody will ever forget that. No, but uh, I wonder, oh, so who's Prof Lover, and where do they live, and what do they do? Well, I can't reveal Prof Lover's actual identity. Even though I okay. know who it is, um, but lives up to the name. One hundred percent lives up to the name. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, and is from, um, she's from Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And what does she do in Ukraine? Uh, I, you know, again, I, I don't want to give too too much away. But, um, geez, how can I phrase this? Um, she's a teacher. Oh, well, okay. Oh, but, okay. So prof lover is a teacher. Oh, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's not, let's okay, not. Okay, let's stop. Let's, we better stop. Y- yeah. Uh, you know, we, if we say much more, it, the cat's out of the bag. The jig is up, yeah. as the kids would say. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, lastly, we have some donut money. Oh. And, and it's from somebody named Jill Bratell. Oh. And where is Jill Bratell from, Scott? Oh, uh, Jill Bratell is from Denmark. Oh, 
Yeah. Okay. Yep. Copenhagen or? Uh... Uh, nope. Nope. The other Hagen. What's that one? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I forget. Yeah, something other Hagen, Hagen Hagen or something. I I can't remember. Hagen Dawes. She's from Hagen Dawes. Ha- yeah, sure. That would be a great place to be from. Everything's made out of ice cream and deliciously so. And what does she do in Hagen Dawes, Denmark? Uh, she makes the sticks that go in the ice cream. Oh, there you go. Yeah, fantastic. So yeah. does she? She like use like a, a like a saw to make them, or does she carve them? Hand whittles. Yep, she whittles them all by hand. Individually, yeah, that's good. It's a that's that's it's a hell of a trade, man. It's an art. It is a lot of your hands get dry, get dry really quickly, though. Um, and quite often the little whittler, I think, is what they call it, the whittler. Uh, it'll you know you'll just it'll slip a bit and you know right into your finger and yikes! Oh man, the pain. That's that's not good. A lot of band aids on these whittle uh on these uh Hagen dolls whittlers. So that's it for our uh, Patreon shoutouts and donut money. Thank you so much to our patrons and our donut money uh, donators. Past and present for your pledges. I got to come up with a better way to say this. We really appreciate your support of the show. If you want to help support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine or for a one-time support, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe subscribe to the show. You can easily find us on iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. You can easily rate us on podchaser.com. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a like or follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Uh, until next week, wash your hands. <laughs> don't don't touch your face, and stay the fuck inside. I, I'm gonna go as far as to say, twenty one seconds. Even go go longer than the twenty. We're we're adding a second. Yeah, and stay the fuck inside. Yep. Yeah, yeah, please, because that will make you a good egg and not a bad apple. Yeah, <clears throat> and it'll help us get over this shit sooner. Yeah. Bye bye, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.